the TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Welcome to another episode of Across the Airwaves, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions on the television industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, and with me is a guy who has aspirations of becoming a Green Lantern, my co-host. Hey everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airwaves. This week's episode is all about fighting for truth, justice, and the American way, as ATA becomes the first podcast to take on reviewing the shorts along with the episodes of Green Lantern the Animated Series and Young Justice to make up Cartoons Network's DC Nation programming block. But that's not all. We also review new episodes of Once Upon a Time, Psych, and Person of Interest, as well as giving you our favorite comedic moments from the Fox series Breaking In and everybody's favorite, The Bing Bang Theory. And before we get into all of that, we have the favorite section of our podcast, News with Nico. Doctor Who versus Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock star Benedict Cumberbatch is rumored to be starring in a forthcoming Doctor Who episode. With the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who fast approaching, rumors are circulating that the Sherlock star, Benedict Cumberbatch, is being lined up to play the renegade Time Lord, the Master, opposite Matt Smith's Doctor in the 2013 series. That's Series 8, not the forthcoming Series 7 filming now. Yeah, I was a little disappointed too. I would love to see Amy Pond versus the Master. While there's been no official announcement from the BBC, the fact that Moffat works as showrunner for both series means that there could be some truth to this speculation. It would be fitting for the Doctor to come face-to-face with his ultimate enemy, the Master, for the 50th anniversary, and I feel that Cumberbatch, God, I love that name, would be the perfect man to play the part. Can you think of anything better than the man who plays Sherlock taking on the Doctor? The Last Airbender Legend of Korra trailer debut. A new promo for the upcoming sequel series to Avatar The Last Airbender has hit the webs finally this last week. IGN got an exclusive look at the new trailer for the series, showing Korra in action as she begins to hone her airbending skills under the tutelage of Aang's son, Tenzin. There's a link to the trailer available on our Facebook page. And all I have to say about that is I thought it would be a little bit more cinematic. Agreed. I was super excited about this trailer when I when I heard that it was finally available. But now having watched it, I gotta say, I'm a little underwhelmed. You may remember that Dan and I are huge fans of the original series and spent two full episodes, a total of over three hours, covering the original series. To say we have been eagerly awaiting this sequel series would be an understatement. So when I finally got a glimpse of this promo, I was disappointed. I'm hoping that it is merely that I'm not the trailer's primary demographic and that the series will be more like the original, where it has appeal to both kids and adults. 
But from the promo, it seemed more geared towards tweens and the same people who are obsessed with vampires on the CW rather than amazing sci-fi-ish anime-like cartoons, which was what the original was. I'm not in any way saying that I won't be watching this series. I'm just not as excited for it as I was before seeing the promo. By all means, check it out yourself at the link on the Facebook page. The problem with the preview was it was done by Nickelodeon's marketing department. Right. And that's a typical trailer that they do for most of their shows. I mean, it had the same feel and stuff like that. I just don't think it's going to do what the show is about justice. And I think if the showrunners of Avatar were behind those trailers, which sometimes they let the cartoon show do that, it would have come off a lot more profound and epic like we're used to from the original series. Right, which is my hope. So it's just a poor move on Nickelodeon's part, not the show creators. It could still be a very great show. Ghostbusters 3 not happening with Bill Murray. Fans who have been eagerly awaiting the long-rumored third Ghostbusters movies got some bad news recently. It seems that Bill Murray will not be doing the film. Aykroyd recently revealed in an interview that Murray has been reluctant to even read the script in the last few years, indicating that he has no interest in busting ghosts anymore. Not having Bill Murray's Peter Venkman could strike the blow that kills the project entirely. However, the studio apparently seems still interested in moving forward at this point. It's still very feasible to move forward with the film, especially considered that the rumored premise was to have the old Ghostbusters hand over the reins to a new generation of Ghostbusters, likely played by some of today's comic stars. It's a tough hit to take, but I still think there could be something watchable without Bill Murray. I have to say, I am disappointed that Bill Murray won't be in this finale film of the franchise, but I do still want to see it. I just will not be happy if it turns out to be a film that, that exploits the franchise or destroys my childhood. I don't want another Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. That's why I'm thinking that they shouldn't do it now without Murray. It's questionable. I'll still see it regardless if it comes to fruition, but it's not what I was hoping for. I think you just need to move on. Again, Bill Murray has some personal issues with the other actors involved with Ghostbusters. So I kind of see where he's not wanting to do it. Because I know he and Harold Ramis have some issues. So okay. I think on that note, they should just maybe all move on. Castle stages a Firefly reunion. Yes. For the first time, Castle is reuniting Nathan Fillon with one of his former Firefly co-stars on the ABC crime series. In an episode slated for spring, Adam Baldwin, who played Firefly's Jane Cobb to Nathan's Captain Malcolm Reynolds, will guest star as a detective named Ethan Slaughter. It's a pretty good name. Yeah. Slaughter is described as a rough and tumble cop from the city's gang unit who lands a case that Castle is desperate to follow. Along the way, Slaughter shows Castle a dirtier side of police work that forces Castle to reconsider what he's willing to do to close a case. As the season nears its cliffhanging conclusion, expect this new alliance to place Castle in the line of fire like never before. Nathan, Adam, and I are all over the moon about this fun nod to Firefly. Yes, this is something that we kind of called for on ETA. Absolutely. And I'm very glad that this is happening. This is like a dream come true for us here. That ATA, especially since we covered both Chuck and Obama's former show and Castle. So exactly. we are just like on fire about this. This is going to be a huge episode. I just hope he's not a villain. I hope he's someone that Castle kind of has a altercation or a disagreement with. Leonard Nimoy finally agrees to Big Bang Cameo with a twist. 
Leonard Nimoy is at long last guest starring on CBS's The Big Bang Theory. Sources confirm that the Star Trek icon will fulfill Sheldon's lifelong dream when he makes a cameo in the show's March 29th episode. But unfortunately, there is a small catch. Nimoy will be heard, not seen. He will speak to Sheldon as Spock in a dream. Nimoy has largely retired from appearing on screen, but he is occasionally still interested in voice work, and this opportunity was something both sides could agree was worth it, and I can't wait. In our final news story, Lucy Liu cast as Watson in CBS's modern-day Sherlock Holmes pilot, Elementary. Remember last month when I told you that Hollywood and TV execs have run out of ideas and CBS will attempt to blatantly rip off and ride the coattails of success of Stephen Moffat's Sherlock airing currently on the BBC and that Eli Stone star Johnny Lee Miller would be playing the American Sherlock Holmes but they had yet to cast Watson? Well, the network has cast Watson finally and they found Lucy Liu. No, that's not a typo. Lou has been cast to play Watson to Johnny Lee Miller's Sherlock in the new pilot, Elementary. Since the announcement, much speculation has been going around the interwebs that this move was made because American audiences could not handle the latent sexual tension between Watson and Holmes if they were both male. To which I say, poppycock. The BBC's Sherlock has no problem dealing with it and even has fun with the premise. Regardless, I love Lucy Liu and will be interested to see her once again every week if this show is picked up. So a mixed bag in my opinion. She's great, but Watson as a woman? There's definitely going to be a love story there between Sherlock and Watson, and they wanted it to be less awkward. While Modern Family has paved the way, and many shows before it will embrace, but mostly we see primarily homosexual couples in comedies rather than in dramas. And this might be the case that they don't think the American public is ready for a primetime drama with a homosexual couple. Just my thoughts. I don't know if that's actually what they were thinking or they just wanted to distinguish it from the BBC show. Or it could just be sex appeal. There's definitely sex appeal with Lucy Liu. Right. So that could be the other factor. (laughs) And that's the news with Nico for this week. All right, everyone. It's time to move on to a new section that we've got here on ATA that I'm very excited to present to you guys. It's been a long time coming from DC Comics that they finally got to doing it on Cartoon Network. So we're going to have a new section on the show dedicated to Cartoon Network's new programming block called DC Nation. And they joined me specially for this because we know all you Smallville retro review fans are very excited about this programming block. We have here probably the most infamous member of our ATA Braid Trust, Michael J. Petty. Hey everyone, and welcome to ATA's DC Nation section. Hey Michael, you want to tell everybody what this is all about? Absolutely. Basically, DC Nation is a one-hour block on Cartoon Network every Saturday morning, which revolves around the two animated series by DC Comics, Green Lantern, the animated series, and Young Justice. Now, during this block, these episodes air, and during the episodes, DC Nation shorts air as well, including a Plastic Man short, Teen Titans shorts, among Doom Patrol, Lego Batman, and a bunch of other things. And they also have a uh, section where they test out comic book things in real life, including this week's Green Arrow Boxing Glove Arrow. 
Mythbusters section, which is really awesome. But we will get into that a little later. So basically, we'll just be reviewing the episodes of Green Lantern and Young Justice, as well as talking about our favorite moments from the shorts. Right. And this is, again, a new section on ATA. We're going to keep it going every time there is new episodes airing of Green Lantern and Young Justice. Again, we've reviewed Young Justice on the show before, so that's nothing new. But we are adding Green Lantern and also a quick discussion on these awesome and really well-done shorts from animation companies that DC Comics has brought in to uh, work on these projects. So this is a really neat thing. We're a huge fan of DC Comics and mm-hmm. all their material. We thought we could give them some publicity from this. Plus, again, we're missing Smallville, obviously. So this is more things that we're doing here at ATA to fill that void, along with Michael's other show, Retro Reviews, which I all recommend you to listen to. As do for, I. Especially for Michael and Moose antics. All right. Well, the first show we'll be covering, because it obviously aired first, is Green Lantern, the animated series. And the first episode, the pilot, is Beware My Power. When Hal Jordan, Earth's resident Green Lantern, learns of alleged Green Lantern killers, he he journeys with Kilowog to the deepest regions of space in order to help fellow Lantern Shire Rev. Upon their arrival, they discover the existence of two Red Lanterns, rage-filled beings bent on destroying the entire Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, Red Lanterns, but not as angry as the Red Lanterns in the actual comic books. We'll get into that. Yes, we will. Basically, I just want to start out tackling this Green Lantern animated series, Michael, by saying I was a little apprehensive going into it. You know, we had this discussion before mm-hmm. that we thought the animation was a little too cartoony, especially for what we would expect from a superhero action show, especially with Cartoon Network having, you know, a computer animated series is visually stunning as Star Wars Clone Wars. Yeah. And in my opinion, I thought the animation kind of looked bland at first, while Hal was on Earth, and they had that sequence where he saved the trade. But once the Green Lantern rigs set him into space, space, wow, I can't talk today, and, you know, caused some, we had some fight scenes, or some throwdowns between, you know, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, Kilowog, and the Red Lanterns. It got a lot better. I was much more impressed with that. But mm-hmm. in the beginning, I was unsure. I don't know. Where were you at when you finally got to see it all in its entirety and not on a YouTube Well, we the pilot had originally aired last October in its two-part format, which we didn't see today or last weekend, but we did see the first half. Um, and I remember at first, like you, I was a little apprehensive about it. I wasn't really sure what to make of it mainly because of all the great animation DC's done over the years within the animated movies and the TV shows, and even throughout um, movies with CGI and stuff like that. But to be honest, once I started getting into the story, the animation didn't really matter as much to me. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I, I really just wanted to enjoy it. I, I mean, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to enjoy the show for what it was, because it really felt like a Green Lantern comic. Right, and that's what I was saying is really with this show, regardless if you like the animation or not, I felt it really took after the great superhero cartoons of the 90s, mm-hmm. you know, X-Men and Spider-Man, then Batman the Animated Series, and later on Spectacular Spider-Man. According to you, I still need to watch that. Yes, you do. But 
they didn't sugarcoat anything for the kiddies. Right. I think that's what made this show work. I mean, they the writers here, yeah, this has to do with Bruce Timm being behind it because he is the man when it comes to DC animation and all of their stuff. Especially if you checked out Justice League Doom, which mm-hmm. is impressive, according to it, Michael. It's very good. Very good. And if it's disappointing, I have permission to slap you, I hope. You have permission if it's disappointing, but it won't come to that, oh, so yeah. Like that going to me. I was just trying to say something. <laughs> but anyway uh, <laughs> compliments for that compliments for that but yeah they, the writers of the show were about telling the best story possible and yeah. if that had you know if that needed to kill off a Green Lantern in the first five minutes which the show did then they had to do it if that meant Hal Jordan had to be a ladies man and think about women 99.9% of the time then to make his character more interesting to watch and so be it. That's what they went for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's how I felt too, obviously. Right. And again, I think people, you know, parents may think these concepts of killing characters off or hell, wanting to hook up with Carol Ferris might go over their head. But mm-hmm. I think kids need exposure to this to pass these superhero characters and what's going on with Green Lantern to a new generation. Right. And the Green Lantern comics itself are a product of this. Yes. Because Jeff Johns and the stuff he came up with for the universe, which is probably why this animated series exists, was a product of him being exposed to Super Friends and things like that Mm -hmm. when he was a kid. Right. And some great stories. I mean, Green Lantern, at the time Jeff Johns was a kid, had that great Green Arrow, Green Lantern comic going on. Oh, which is a great comic. Highly recommended. And definitely didn't sugarcoat things at all. Very underrated. Exactly. And this animated series is that it's more based on outer space than the Green Arrow, Green Lantern story. But hey, it still works. It's it's very, very cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know, was there anything more you had to say on the sugarcoating thing, Michael? Um, To be honest, a lot of, like the flirtation and all that the Hal Jordan does in the episode, <clears throat> excuse me, in the episodes, it really, um, to be honest, it kind of went over my head because that's just how the character is. Right. But, but I was watching it originally with uh, my, my little sisters who are 11 and 7, and they didn't take a second thought to it. Yeah. Because it, it was just uh, visually stimulating, and they were really getting into the story. Exactly, and that's what they went for. I mean, this show is very visually stimulating. I mean, we weren't sure with the computer animation, and again, Bruce Timm said this is the first animated uh, computer animated show they have done. Mm-hmm. So they weren't sure how it was going to work. But it was fine because at the same time, they also hit a lot of the characters that we love from the Green Lantern comics running the money. Yeah. I mean, we had Hale as the insurborn Daredevil Green Lantern who can't make it to dinner with Carol Ferris. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Ganthet be the one, you know, who's always convincing the fellow Guardians to kind of see things Hal's way or give him a break. And of course, we had Kilowog, my favorite character from the Green Lantern universe, being that, you know, gruff, no nonsense Green Lantern, who I felt that this show kind of kept Hal somewhat grounded while he pulled off his high risk plans to save the galaxy. Yeah. I'll agree with that. Yeah. And. 
I really thought the interaction with Helen Kilowog, you may disagree with me on this, Michael, was my favorite part of the pilot. Okay. The and first episode or both of I them? I would say both of them together. Okay. It was still really good at this episode, too. Especially in that scene where, you know, you think he's stopping him from getting on the ship and flying off after the Red Lanterns. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, hey, I'm going along with you. I yeah. thought that was a good scene. And I really hope he, that he almost appears on a weekly basis as Hale's partner. Well, he has to because of where they are in the series right now. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, to be honest. Okay, as in the comic book series, or are you saying as in the TV? I'm saying as in the TV series. Okay. In the comic book series, it's obviously different because of that. where Jeff Johns went with that with Sinestro, but yeah. yeah. And to be honest, and I just need to say this real quick, I'm glad they went with Red Lanterns right off the bat yeah. over Sinestro. And I say this for two reasons. I say it one because everyone who watched the Green Lantern movie believes Sinestro's a good guy. People who don't read comics, they all or think Sinestro's a for good guy. Yeah. Or didn't say for the credits. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or, or are reading the current Green Lantern comic where Sinestro is a Green Lantern again. And so I'm glad they stuck to that continuity for at least the beginning of the se- series. I've been told and I've heard that we're going to see Sinestro eventually. And that plotline will probably happen. But I believe the Blue Lanterns are going to be before that. Because I heard St. Walker is going to be on soon. Interesting. That so that could sense. be really cool. I think they're going for the War of Light. It's like I, I think figures, so too. Action figures. And it's a very visual plotline. Well, right now they don't have action figures for this show. Right. I think they're coming. Okay. I, I mean, with every animated show... I mean, they do the Young Justice. Yeah, they have figures. I think they're coming out. I think, you know, Green Lantern just started. Right. So I think the toys are going to be coming out now. I think when they had the preview come out, no. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you're saying, yeah, I think it was better they went with the Yellow Lanterns. Again, I think it's a situation like Nolan did with the Batman movies. That mm-hmm. in case there is a Green Lantern sequel, they're going to, you know, not reveal Sinestro and the Yellow Lanterns. Until part two comes out. Absolutely, yeah. So that's what's going on with that. The other thing I was talking about with the Red Lanterns is they're very similar to the Yellow Lanterns. And in the sense that, yeah. you know, they're more evil conniving bad guys. And all they want to do is destroy the core. Right. Where, you know, in the, in the comics, I said that they were much more savage, like Reavers on Firefly. Yeah. Yep. You know, they kind of roar, they spew out blood. And yes, yes. Cause all sorts of havoc. And but obviously you can't do that on a children's television right. show. That's what I was saying. Right. Is Especially with them spewing out blood. Oh, yeah. It's not going to go over well with the censors. Yeah, that's uh, on the, true. On the kids' show. Again, well, this isn't really a sugar-coating thing. Uh, I just think you need a different bad guy for a kids' show so they can follow it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially, I agree. Yeah. And, and also, I think if they do the War of Light, it'll make things a lot less complicated. And I like the character of Razor, and I like the character of Aya. I love the artificial intelligence thing, because that's something that's never been done in the Green Lantern universe before. Right. I think that's, that's a very cool plot line. Um, and I, I also thought it helped people buy into the whole idea of him having a ship. Yes. Because you and I both know 
that in the comics that's a weakness. Yeah. Be- because of um Evan Sir, who was the original Green Green Lantern before Hal, he flew in a spaceship and that led to his death because he wasn't relying on his ring anymore. He was right. afraid something was going to happen to him. And because of that, that weakened him with by using the ship. But this kind of worked around it nicely mm-hmm. by explaining that it was help to help Lanterns reach part of the galaxy faster. Because mm-hmm. we know that problems exist in the comic books. Yes. About the time it's take to get out there. So it makes sense that they have this. It also helped that the ship, had, as you said, before it was an artificial intelligence, because that was something new, but also had a female voice. Because I thought that played nice in the Hell's character. Yes. And his profession as a test pilot when he talked to Kilowog about how a ship is always a girl. Right. So that was perfect. I think that worked. I think they worked around that nicely, especially if that was just to sell toys. <laughs> just to sell that giant spaceship like the Quinjet or Javelin 7. Right, exactly. But um, I also really like the character of Razor because that's a new character. Yes. That was He was created just for the show. And that's the Red Lantern that's kind of on the fence, right? Yeah, he's going to be a Red Lantern for the majority of the season, apparently. Okay, but but he's questioning if that's mm-hmm. the right course of action or what they're all about. Yeah, according to uh, the second part of the premiere, which will air next Saturday, or this Saturday, I guess. Well, this episode gave little hints of it, when he yes. was apprehensive about killing somebody. Yep. But they really hit that on the money really well in part two. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. And that kind of leads me to the last point, is I'm really glad when Cartoon Network previewed Korean Lantern, the animated series, you know, when they showed it. Was it December they showed it? Or was it a little October. Bit before that? October, yeah. But I liked it how they showed part one and two of the pilot. Or no, it was November, I'm sorry. November. But I, as I was saying before, I liked that they showed both parts one and two of the pilot. Because yeah. I think if they showed just part one, like they did on Saturday, I just don't think people would have gotten as excited about the show. Well, and yeah, I agree with that. And as I mean, we've talked about this off air too, but I think the reason that they did it obviously was because they wanted to stick to the one hour programming block for DC Nation because they wanted to premiere that as soon as possible. Exactly. And I, I agree with that now. I'm just glad that they previewed it the way they did before. Exactly. And I think they do that. Uh, so that was a good call. Yeah, that so was that, a good call. Yeah, so that was a really good call. Sorry. I'm like sneezing over here. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, challenges of being a podcaster trying not to sneeze. Go I know, it's terrible. Yeah, I know, isn't it? Like, I don't want to screw up the recording. I don't want to screw it up. That's the worst part. Yeah, but going back to this show, I think part two really gave this show its heart and the drama and the emotion mm-hmm. that this show's capable of. Um, yes. And on top of that, I just think that part one's cliffhanger that we saw on Saturday was major weak sauce compared to the way part two of this ends with, you know, a big setup for the show in its entirety. Mm-hmm. You know, where there was kind of this idea that the Guardians were keeping secrets from the Green Lanterns and Atrocitus. Again. Who's revealed as the big bad guy in this plotline was keeping secrets from the Red Lanterns with the whole thing with Razor that we talked about. Mm-hmm. So again, if you don't know who Razor is, He's the one that was kind of, he had gray skin. He wasn't the big guy that looked like a beach ball. <laughs> yeah, and the th- the one thing is, though, this episode felt more like a pilot 
then with them both together. And I say this for one reason and one reason only, is at the end, Hell decides that they need to stay as long as it takes. And that feels like a pilot setup to me. Right, that there, it's going to be a long period of time to go out there. Yeah. But at the end of part two, he kind of comes back to, oh, uh, the cord is kind of what we have before. Yeah, but it's not very long. So where I thought I thought it should have ended is when they when he jumped off the cliff when he was depowered, mm. and then him jumped out and you think, oh no, he's gonna fall off the ship and die, and then part two starts out with him doing that awesome blast move where he takes out the guy. No, that's in part one. I, I know that's why I'm saying that's where I thought. That oh, 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 oh. It, gotcha. Should have started with him making that move. Okay, gotcha. By the way, can I just say that that was visually awesome? That was great. That was great. And I loved how Kilowog's like, you could have blown your arm off. He goes, it feels like it did. Yeah. And, then, and that's another great part. Kilowog coming in with those one-liners. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really need to have a buddy-cop relationship like you would find on a, you know, a drama show. Yes. Because I just think it's interesting and it gives him someone to talk to. And again, it's more visuals. Absolutely. And Kilowog's kind of sense of humor and sarcasm can give you jokes that are at a kid's level mm-hmm. without it being corny. Exactly. Exactly. So that Agreed. works. Again, as I said, this was a very good pilot. Yes. I mean, both part one and two are spectacular together. Separate, this episode is still very, very good. And for yeah. me, as a Greenlander fan, it's good enough. It's enough to keep me hooked. Absolutely, absolutely. Was there so, anything, yeah, anything else you had to say? Um, to me, my favorite moment is when he does that big blast at the Red Lanterns toward the end when Hal does that. That's my favorite moment of the pilot. Right. And when he kind of starts yelling at the Guardians. Exactly. Yeah. I, actually, Hal, actually, I punch him in the gut. Then I headbutt him in the face. Yes. That was good. Really great dialogue uh, with the Green Lanterns. and Maybe should have been some of the writing that they should have gotten in the actual movie. I was going to say, it, the writing of Hal Jordan in this was a lot more heroic and dynamic than what we should have had in right. uh, the movie. So kudos to those writers on that. Excellent job. But I can't wait to see what happens from this show. Well, and I can't wait to see how this show also affects how the next movie is done. Yeah, I would say so. Again, we've seen with the Batman films how big of an effect on anima- the animated series had on Nolan's films and doing that. Yeah. So I think we got a big potential for what this show could do for a Green Lantern 2 movie if we get it to happen. Right. Which, that, I, which I think uh, will. Yeah, I agree. But with that, due to time purposes... Yeah, we could talk Green Lantern all day, because it's just that awesome. Mm-hmm. We're going to move on to talking more about DC Nation with our thoughts on the short. <laughs> and the first short we had was this Mythbusters clip. Again, if you haven't seen yes. the show on the Discovery, it's Discovery Channel and they show it. Uh, if you um, yeah. Yes. No, wait, is it? I think so. Discovery Channel, TLC, one of those shows. Basically, they just test out different things that happen in movies and seeing if they could happen in real life. And with this short, people at DC Comics are seeing if things from the comic book universe actually work. So we got this cool video where this guy came out and fired off 
Green Arrow's boxing glove arrow. Oh, and it worked. And it worked. It was awesome. He caused. Oh, it was so awesome. He broke these glasses, and it was pretty destructive and awesome. And with that, I'm really hoping that they test out other real life versions. I want a battering. Well, you know what I said in my script was Wonder Woman's bracelets. Oh. So, some way testing out that idea. Can they really block bullets? Oh. That would be a cool one to see. That would be a cool one to see. And, oh, another one that would be cool to see is if you can fit a costume in a ring. Like yes. the flashes. That would rock. That would be fun. That would be really cool. I don't think you could pull it out of there and put it on as fast. Well, probably not, but I want to see if they could fit a full flash costume in a flash ring. That would be cool. It would be also pretty cool if they could figure out how to vibrate something fast enough so it could go through something else. Oh, yeah. But that's a physical impossibility. Well, you never know. True. I don't know. Or if a laser cannon. I don't really care what they do. The Green Arrow one was awesome, so if you're starting out great, chances are the rest of it's going to be pretty good. Yeah, just keep it going. Just come up with whatever you can to do it. Again, I'm surprised Jeff Johns didn't come out and fire off that Green Arrow boxing glove arrow just because he could. True. Because if I mean, if I made this stuff, I came up with this stuff in the comics, I'd be like, heck yeah, I want to try it. <laughs> see if I can do it, yeah. I wrote it. Let me try. Exactly. You give it. And then with that short, we moved on to some more animated content as we got this claymation video. And even though Superman kind of made a solid point about it being strange that Batman has a sidekick named Robin, but birds and bats don't really hang out together. I really didn't get this short from Ardman Studios, who are responsible for the movie Chicken Run, as well as the Wallace and Gromit cartoons. And again, Michael kind of went with the consensus on this, that it was made for little kids. Yeah. I don't know if they even really got it. I don't know. You have 10, 11-year-olds at your house. Did they get the cartoon, or what was their reaction to it? Madeline, who is seven, was like, this is weird. The comment she made is, Robin is not taller than Batman. (laughs) (laughs) And and Superman's not British. I'm like, well, actually, Madeline, he kind of is now. (laughs) Henry Cavill? Yeah, it's claymation Henry Cavill. But he wore the underwear. He was wearing the underwear. True. We can confirm there is underwear. Yes. So yeah. And eating cookies. Yes. Well, I I would assume Superman eats cookies anyway. I mean, they're just so good. Cookies, yeah, everyone eats cookies. Especially your mom's. Your mom's chocolate chip cookies are the yes. best. And Ma Kent makes good rhubarb pie. Yes, she does. Yes. Just run out there. But the Smallville version, I've never seen her make rhubarb pie. The Smallville version doesn't make pie, except for apple pie. Yeah. I think. And that's oh, good. Wow. I think our friends at Starkville's House of L now geek out loud. Would love to try some of that. Starkville's House of L turned geek out loud. Yeah, exactly. I bet Wu would be down with some Ma Kent's apple pie. True. Yeah. Definitely true. But now we're digressing. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> no. DC Nation is going to be a little off the wall, guys. This is it's... the section that it won't well, be as bad as episode re- seen before. Yeah, it won't be as bad as retro reviews every week, but it's gonna be a little different than 
Dan and Nico's show, mainly because I'm here. Well, this is a part of Dan and Nico's show. So Nico well, be going, what are you doing to my show? Well, you know what I mean. Yes, exactly. We're going to yeah. have fun. That's what we're going to do. Yes. Darn it. That's what podcasting is for. Right, fun. Don't do this to make money, even though if we did, I would make a lot fortune. <laughs> yes. But we don't. Well, so. we're, we're close to doing that, but... Oh, that's okay. for another time. We'll, we'll talk later. Um, yeah, the next short we had was a Plastic Man short, which which was really good, <laughs> actually. It was hilarious, yes. An old woman cries for help after a perch snatcher snatches her purse. Obviously, that's I mean that's why they're called that. Anyway, he asks the woman what he looks like. And he keeps morphing his face to her description. And when he finally morphs his face exactly how the guy looked, she screams and calls the cops and they arrest Plastic Man instead. Which, which is, is great. Which is really funny because if you have read anything Plastic Man has ever been in, JLA, Plastic Man, whatever, that is exactly something that would happen to him. Because it's classic Plastic Man. Yeah. And I love that Plastic Man got an opportunity to be animated. Yes. And get a voice because... He's so off the wall that he wouldn't work anywhere else. I mean, he so was... I'm glad they gave him a chance. Yeah, he was animated... He had his own show in the 70s, but very briefly, so... Right, I'm, I'm so glad lanky. that he's here. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, I, it was a lot like this, to be honest. Right, and this worked good. And it helped that... It seemed like that was the team behind Ren and Stimpy from the old Nickelodeon days that did the animation on this. Yeah, it... So they you kind know, of made to, me smile. I'm excited. To me, to me, honestly, and I don't know why, but it kind of reminded me of Cat and Dog or Cow and Chicken. Yeah, which are variations of the Run and Stimpy stuff. Right. So that's it's you know it's a post cursor to it, I guess. Yeah. Right word. But again, they had some other types of animation as they slipped in Shaggy from Scooby Doo. That's one of the yes. plastic plastic man transformed himself into, which is awesome and a lot of fun, good stuff. Well, it's a good thing that Warner Brothers and DC can agree on stuff like that because I find that really fun. And I'm really hoping that following DC Nation, at some point there'll be new episodes of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. I want oh. to know what happens next in season two. I do too, so badly. At least that's Thundercats awesome. is still on. Right. Because that's a really good show too. I don't know when new episodes are starting though. I don't either. I'll I'll find out later. Yes. Um. But yeah, and these were the shorts that we had this week. I mean, coming up, there are gonna be other ones. There's gonna be a Super Best Friends Forever one, which is with Supergirl, Wonder Girl, and Batgirl, and it's from the same people who did Powerpuff Girls. Yes, which should be fun. Which will be cool. There's gonna be a Doom Patrol one. There's going to be a Batman one that is strictly claymation, I believe. Um, they're they're going to do a Lego CGI one. Yeah, they're going to do that too. Which I think you can watch on YouTube, actually. I think so too. It came uh, out years ago, but they're going to reshow it. There's a new Teen Titans one. Yes. There's the a live action. The old animated yes. Show? yes. Yes, which is. I popped up for that. Oh, yeah. I'm very excited for that. Then there's going to be a short on Amethyst, Princess of Gemworld. I. To be honest, I've never heard of this character. It's a DC Comics character I know, and that's okay. Well, we'll see how it goes. We'll see, yeah, and um, 
There will also be a live-action Blue Beetle short, yep. which is based off the test footage that we saw at Comic-Con last year? Yes, sir. Okay, yeah. And then, obviously, we saw a live-action Blue Beetle on Smallville in Season 10 in the Jeff Johns episode Booster, which was not as good as the test footage, in my opinion, but they did their best. Um, and supposedly, they're going to be giving us updates on Man of Steel and Dark Knight Rises coming out. Yep, they're going to be probably get... Arrow once that starts going into production. Yeah, comic updates are going to be on there as well, and there's going to be like a lot of stuff for the new video game Gotham City Imposters. Yeah, which is basically like a Joker's gang and a Batman's gang, which you fight against each other. It's, it looks weird, but it looks kind of fun. Yeah. We're going to just keep you guys all up to date on what's going on on DC Nation. Mm -hmm. If you're watching it, it happens real quick during commercials. So you might miss something if you're fast-forwarding on your DVR or whatnot. So we're going to try to keep our eye the best we can on DC Nation so we can mention to you at least something about all the DC-related content coming through. Because there's yeah. so much of it, we're going to try to organize for you, kind of like what we do with our Comic-Con episodes. I'm hoping between myself and news with Nico and Michael's retro reviews, we can keep everything all straight. Yeah. I mean, and and a, I don't know if these ones are out yet, but they're apparently working on a Black Lightning, Dr. Fate, and Vibe cartoon as yes. well. There's which, actually previews for that on the DC Nation website. Yes. Which I also recommend all of you to check out. Because it's a great place to keep updated on everything going on with the DC Nation. I signed up for their RSS feed, and they've got some great videos the behind-the-scenes stuff on all this stuff that we cover. So keep an eye on their website and our website because we right now, they're going to try to take our place as the ultimate guide to the DC Nation programming block. So hopefully we'll establish that role with this episode. But with Who's that, trying to take our place? We're going to try to take a place. Oh, okay. I thought you said someone's no, taking our place. I'm like, what? We want to be... The guide to DC Nation. Well, I think it can work. Because we would like to be a part of things. And hopefully, if we get an interview with a certain individual. Well, let's, let's not even go there. Let's stuff. not even go there yet. Nope. Right, not and I want to mention. I don't want to mention guys, it. Guys, keep your fingers crossed. Just say, please get us the surprise for ATA. That's all I'll leave it as. That's all we're saying. Yes. That's and I'm not saying. saying anymore because I don't want to get in trouble or jeopardize it. So, um, yeah, Let's moving move on. on. To Young Justice now. Yes. With the episode misplaced. The Young Justice team, Zatanna, and Captain Marvel's alter ego, Billy Batson, are the only ones on Earth who can save the day when five villainous sorcerers make every adult on the planet disappear. Okay, Michael, I'll admit, when I found out that Clarion the Witch Boy was going to be the villain of the much-anticipated <laughs> return of Young Justice, I groaned a bit. I... Normally, with these Clarion stories, we get this story where the bunch of non-magical characters have to hold off Clarion until a character like Etrigan or Dr. Fate shows up. To be honest, I hate that episode of Batman the Animated Series. That is probably one of the weakest episodes of the show. Ugh. It hurts me. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's, it's a like little... every time Clarion shows up, it's that story. Yeah. You know, every Clarion Justice League Batman Animated Series episode is described as pretty much what I just said. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. No, exactly. I definitely agree with you. Definitely. Um, this episode, to be honest, it was a strong premiere. Back. It was. It was a surprise. It was. Because the way it started, it's like, oh my god, what are you doing? Because I'll be honest, I normally hate magic-themed episodes of superhero TV shows. For because they're all the same. Yeah, they're all the same, one. And two, I just don't like magic heroes in general. There are a few that I like because they explain their powers better than others. But overall, the magic aspect of the DC Universe, I just have a hard time grasping, and I don't necessarily enjoy it as much. But there are exceptions in this episode. They did use the two that you can follow probably the easiest. Yeah. Which are Captain Marvel and Zatanna. Yeah. But the real heart of this episode was the magic, which Michael doesn't like very much, was actually kind of used in an interesting capacity as Clary had kind of split the world into two different dimensions. Mm-hmm. And one, all the adults disappeared. And the yeah. other, all the children were missing. And the purpose of that was to create a distraction while the Riddler and Sportsmaster stole, I think, a piece of Starro uh, from Star Labs. Yeah, that's uh, what it looked like. I, I, they call What do they call The Legion of Light? or The Light. The Light. Which is basically guys. the Legion of Doom or the Secret Society of Supervillains, whichever one you want to call it. Right. Because members of both groups are in it. So yeah. It's a combo of those. Hence the new name. And so. that was a piece of Star All right? I think so, because it was from Star Labs. Okay. It, it looked like it. Because I know that's where the Season 2 Invasion show is building up to somewhat. Yeah. Um, okay, real quick, and I just want to talk about Invasion real quick. Do you think it's going to be like that storyline in Teen Titans, in the newer series, the one before New 52, where Starro invaded Titans Tower and all that? Do you think it's going to be kind of like that? It's going to be close to it. I think that they're going to throw in, because it's so big... Because they said it's going to be like a 20-part story arc. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to throw in like a secret invasion aspect. In the sense that you don't know who all out of the Justice League members are infected by the Starro. Okay. I think I think the Young Justice will be clean. Because that's what kind of happened in the Starro story. Mm-hmm. With, that established the Teen Titans. Yeah. And I think they'll be clean. But what they're going to be paranoid about is they're not going to know which one of the adults to trust. To be honest, I think I can guess Superman is one of them because of how he's been acting, how weird he's been. Yes. I don't think Batman is. I, I think could Batman be wrong. Be... I think he's safe I think until safe like the Batman. end. Until like the end, and right. then he might turn. Um, Maybe I, Black Canary. I think Red Tornado will be safe because he's a robot. Yeah. And he's only be- and he's already been turned once, and we don't really want to do that again. Right. So, yeah. well, I mean, we'll see where that goes, and it may surprise us. Some villains may end up beating Young Justice. We don't know. And can I just say, I like Riddler's new design. Yes. It's very well thought out, and very modern, and it looks really good. And I hope we get to see an episode where we get to see more of him doing Riddler things. Because this, we kind of just saw him. Mm-hmm. But going back into this episode, because we were going to get lost yeah. in Invasion, we'll probably need to do that after the season finale. 
True. Like with all superhero stories, this episode did use the predicament our heroes got in to create some humor out of the Young Justice team having to kind of rescue or babysit many of the kids who were left without parents. Such as Superboy saving that kid wearing a hoodie that had a Superman shield on it. Yes. Nice little fun moment that made me smile. Mm-hmm. When superheroes talk about little kids. It's cool. I do too. And then they had that whole thing with Artemis forgetting the words of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. It gave <laughs> me a little chuckle. That was funny. That, that was fun to see these characters. Especially her who's so kind of angry and driven. It was kind of fun. Seeing her kind of make a fool out of herself and just kind of laugh it off. That was some fun stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think the best stuff we got out of a character was with Captain Marvel. And mm-hmm. I mean, he kind of had the advantage in this whole situation because obviously since Captain Marvel is an adult and his alter ego, Billy Batstead, is a kid. As a kid, he could travel between both dimensions. So we really got some cool stuff which, that. Which, in my opinion, and I really like Captain Marvel as a character, but this is one of the best uses of Captain Marvel I've ever seen, aside from things like Justice League Unlimited and the uh, right. League of Monsters storyline, I think it's called. Maybe I'm wrong. It's something monstrous, but it's Captain Marvel storyline, which yeah, I know what is you're cool. talking about, yeah. I yeah, I was really impressed by this. Normally, he kind of comes in as the magic equivalent of Superman. Mm-hmm. When it's a job for Superman that involves magic. Right. Captain Marvel's the guy that shows up. And again, this was kind of the same situation, but, you know, this could have been that same situation. But the writers were creative by coming up with this idea that had to deal with both Captain Marvel and Billy Bassett. Yes. So that was really kind of cool, and how... He figured that all out was pretty neat also. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was really well done. Don't get me wrong. I liked it a lot. And it was a great performance by Rob Lowe, who is on Parks and Recreations. He's, he's the big boss of that group. He actually is the voice of Captain Marvel and Billy. And okay. he just seems like he's having a lot of fun playing this role and getting to do some of these episodes. And I have to say, when Billy revealed himself as Captain Marvel to the team. I loved it how he did it with complaining to Wally about how he always made him get nachos and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Oh, that was really, really great. But at the same time, even though we had a lot of these funny moments, things got a lot more serious when we went to the adult side of things. Because yes. thankfully, they were very angry about their kids being gone, and there was riots and everything. Where in the kids' reality... There was, you know, this fear because the parents weren't there. And it kind of made things quiet or empty. Yeah. Because they were all inside. So I guess... And, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and thing we don't really realize as much about, like, the Justice League is that their sidekicks, although all of them might not be blood-related, they really are their children. They really are their kids. Right. So they're rightfully worried. Like, with Zatara and Zatanna, or Batman and Robin... And indirectly, Superman and Superboy. Although you didn't see Superman's reaction. But Batman doesn't panic, though. Batman doesn't panic because he knows Dick can handle himself. And he knows Aqualad can as well. So don't take that as he didn't care. Right. It's different with Batman. And depending on what happens in the future, we may see Batman care. Especially with how the Star Wars thing plays out. To be honest, I hope so. Yeah, it's coming. I, I love that caring aspect of Batman, and we don't see it much... But when it's there, 
We it's haven't great. seen it in animation yet, to be honest. Well, we did in the animated series. Yeah, in the animated series. But we haven't seen it in a while. And Return of the Joker. Right. Definitely. Oh. Well, Ooh. and, and um, Under the Red Hood a little bit. Yeah. Which yeah. was the, the same voice actor. Bruce true. Greenwood, who's Batman on here, was also in Under the Red Hood. So That's true. We, we know he's got the chops to pull it off. Oh, Even absolutely. though Kevin Connery is kind of our guy. True. We'll get into that debate another time. But this whole thing about the heroes caring for their superhero children, that added even more drama to this tense situation as Zatanna decided to, to put on the Dr. Fate helmet. Mm-hmm. And she kind of did this because she thought it was the only way to stop Clarion. But this kind of came out as a price as after everything was all over, Zatara plead to Zabu, which if you don't know the whole deal with Dr. Hate, Dr. Fate, basically. Dr. Hate? Dr. Hate, yeah. <laughs> wow, different character. <laughs> ah, as I said before, I can't talk today. But Dr. Fate, basically, inside the helmet, I don't know how to all explain it. It's this confusing magic crap that Michael doesn't like. But yep. basically, there's this spirit named Zabu that's in the helmet. And the spirit wouldn't let Zatanna free of the helmet. Yes. So this causes Zatara to say, you know, let my daughter out of this helmet. And Zabu gives basically this strong no. And so poor Zatara is kind of left with no other choice but to put on the helmet in exchange for Zatanna getting the chance to live her life. And this scene was kind of a tearjerker a little bit. I mean, to, it was a I, sad situation. Exactly. I, really I didn't felt sad expect for Zatanna. it. No, not at all. It was it but was, it was a really emotion. To me, it felt a lot like in the Teen Titans animated series, wherever Raven got upset and she just yes. you know cried in her room, and it was something completely odd because you didn't think that's how it was going to turn out with her because she's such a strong character. But that's how it happened. Well, and this was a little worse because she was Zatanna was kind of a, a happy, perky character. I agreed. Yes. What, what we saw of her in the three episodes before. Which is a perfect idea to develop her in those three episodes. Mm-hmm. So we can see what she was like before and we can see what was after. Yes. I think that made the impact even more powerful. Yes. Because we had, what, two episodes before this that was primarily focused on her? To be honest, I don't completely remember because it's been so long, but I believe you're right. Yeah, something like that. Because the last, the last episode, what was um, the cutoff before we went to this, was, I think, that Halloween episode. With... Uh, with Artemis. Secret, yeah, Artemis and Zatanna teaming up with Secret, yeah, and Harm, Harm like, yeah. Harm likey. Oh my gosh, that was just weird. Yeah, that was an odd episode, but basically, in response to all this that went down, Zatanna kind of got her wish that she wanted to join the Young Justice team. Yeah, said she poor Zatanna just left heartbroken over the loss of her father. Uh, yeah, obviously not the way she wanted it. So she's going to be either become like really angry and vengeful, or maybe it'll be a little bit better. Again, I think there's hope that things could look up for her, since there's the possibility she may get a romance with Robin to cheer her up. But that could uh, come falling apart if Barbara Gordon, who we've seen in like a ton of cameos, who she better on the show enters the picture as bad girl. Which she better. I think a lot of people want that. I think a lot of people are pumped up for that, and they have a voice actress for her, because she did have a couple lines in yep. one episode where they introduced Artemis, where Artemis and Robin teamed up. 
So hopefully that's going to happen on the horizon. That might not be a, until season two when this Starro thing goes down. Maybe at Starro gets on Commissioner Gordon and that's how she becomes Batgirl. Could be. Very similar to... Um, well, we did Heart see Gordon Steel. in this episode, too. Heart of Steel, that Batman episode? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no Hardak. No, no Hardak. It's Starro. Oh, okay. That's too confusing. Okay. Good. I can't handle Hardak again. Hardak was like Skynet on steroids. Yeah, no more Hardak. Because he could talk. I hope you people (laughs) that in the animated series and know what the heck we're talking about here. Yeah. Oh, well. If you don't, it's it's good. You should watch it. Yeah, I might just put a link in the podcast just so you guys know what the heck we're referencing here. But, again, you probably wouldn't be listening to this show if you didn't know that already. As Michael has said many times on Retro Reviews. You know it. All right, so does that wrap things up for us, Michael, with this DC Nation section? I believe, yeah, I believe so. All right, well, thanks for joining us, and I'm glad you'll be joining us on a weekly basis to do this DC Nation section. This will be a lot of fun to have you around and add some humor to our little show. Yes. Even though Nico and I do a decent job, but we always use a little more. Okay. Okay. All right. That sounds like there's doubts there. I'll ignore that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's always fun having Uh, sarcasm is great. So with that, we're going to move on to an episode of a show that talked about a character that had, well, a lot of sarcasm. Well, it explained how he got so sarcastic. Yeah, which means I'm leaving. Goodbye. Yeah, sorry. See you, Michael. So Michael's now leaving, and Nico's going to come back as we talk about the Once Upon a Time episode entitled Dreamy. Sounds like a weird mystical crap episode again. (laughs) While Mary Margaret and Leroy rekindle an old and unremembered friendship during the Miner's Day Festival... Emma looks into the disappearance of Catherine, David's wife. Meanwhile, in the fairy tale world, Grumpy falls in love with a fairy. On this week's Once Upon a Time, Nico fell in love with Amy Acker all over again, because she gave a great performance as Nova the Fairy slash Nut to the dwarf Grumpy, otherwise known as Leroy, the trout drunk in the real world fell in love with. However, as great as Amy Acker was in this role, I really thought that actor Lee Arnberg stole the show as Grumpy slash Leroy, to the point that I want him to have a key role in the main storyline of Emma, defeating the Wicked Queen, Mare, or whatever you want to call her. Literally within this one episode, Grumpy slash Leroy exploded as that supporting character who was an instant fan favorite. And what drew me to this consensus was the interaction that Leroy had with Mary Margaret. Honestly, they were such an odd pairing in the real world, they couldn't help but chuckle at their constant bickering over Leroy's harebrained schemes to sell all the nuns' candles. God, I got a huge comedic kick out of the whole sequence where Mary Margaret and Leroy went door-to-door selling candles, only to get a bunch of doors closed in their face. But I felt incredibly rewarded when Leroy knocking out the power caused him to sell all the candles. At the same time, even though the real-world story was selling the candles was my favorite part of the episode, the fairy tale story was also really well done. Since all of the concepts surrounding the dwarves' origins, from the being born out of eggs to how they got their names, to being the ones who produced fairy dust, were just incredibly imaginative. 
Although the only drawback to this was Belle just randomly being at the dwarf's mind to convince Grumpy or Dreamy at this point that he was in love with Nova the Fairy. Again, an explanation as to how Belle got to the mines will probably be given as we get more development on her story with Rumpelstiltskin. But in terms of this episode, her appearance felt really random, especially with Grumpy's counterpart in the real world, spending so much time with Mary Margaret. Okay, while Grumpy slash Leroy covered the romance and comedy, Emma's role in this episode dealt with most of the drama, because she searched for answers about Catherine's disappearance. And I spent the whole time screaming at the TV for Emma to not trust Sydney, because we all knew he was going to tamper with those phone records to make it look like David was behind the disappearance of his soon-to-be ex-wife. This had turned not only through monkey wrenches into Mary Margaret and David's relationship as she saw him get arrested, but it made Emma doubt herself as the evidence which Regina tampered with made it seem like she couldn't trust her ability to know when people are lying. So with me thinking there are going to be some powerful scenes coming up where Henry and August W. Booth they are going to help Emma get her groove back, I'm going to pass things on to you, Nico, with your thoughts on this Once Upon a Time episode that you've been highly anticipating. Dan, I did indeed fall in love with Amy Acker all over again. She was brilliant as both the fairy Nova, she was sexy in that pink costume, let me tell you, and as the nun's sister Astrid in Storybrooke. Amy Acker does what Amy Acker does best in this role. She was both cute and sexy, and some of the traits of Nova slash Astrid made me think of her role as Fred on Angel, where I first fell in love with her. The story of Nova and Dreamy, or Grumpy, is sweet as was the one of Astrid and Leroy. Astrid was so optimistic, and Amy Acker was so sweet in how she portrayed this clumsy, sweet fairy and the nun. The idea of making her a nun was also perfect, because like a fairy, they cannot be with men, and they are isolated from the world a bit. Dreamy is everything we expect from a Disney character in love. He's passionate, love-struck, reckless, impulsive, and he falls in love in seconds and falls forever. Unfortunately, he's a dwarf, and conventional wisdom says that dwarfs cannot love, so he's talked out of it and becomes grumpy. I thought this was a little too easy for the head dwarf and fairy godmother to do, but I'll get to that in a minute. Dan, I've got to say, I think we might have been doing this show for too long, because we both seem to have the exact same thoughts when it comes to this episode. I thought the Leroy Dreamy Grumpy character easily became one of my favorite supporting characters on this episode. I already liked him from when we saw him help Snow White out of the dungeon, and he had her join the gang of dwarves and give her a home. But this episode strengthened my affection for him and my desire to see much, much more of him in both storylines. Also, in the storybook side of the story, Leroy, or Dreamy, teams up with the outcast Mary Margaret to sell candles for a church fundraiser. Nova becomes Sister Astrid in the real world, and Leroy is completely smitten with her, which we once again see that love transcends the curse from the fairy tale world to the real world of Storybrooke. I like the way Leroy and Mary Margaret play off each other in sort of an odd couple kind of way. You can see some of the same chemistry their characters had when they shared the screen in the fairy tale world, as I mentioned previously. However, this episode was not all good. In fact, there was quite a bit wrong with it. The Nova and Dreamy love affair was rushed and seemed less believable because of it. The dwarves being hatched into essentially slavery as asexual minors that love their work seems to be an outdated, mildly racist theme to perpetuate in this series and could have been handled better. The presence of Belle in this episode giving advice to Dreamy was not only ridiculous, but poorly done, and I'm beginning to think I'm not so crazy when I said she was a terrible choice for Belle. 
And as I mentioned earlier, the whole idea of Dreaming being talked out of love with Nova so quickly hurt the idea that he was in love with her at all. Yes, you can argue that he was doing it selflessly to allow her to follow her dreams of becoming a fairy godmother, but it seemed too easily done. Also, Emma was too easily tricked with the phone records for someone who can see through most lies, and would have most definitely double-checked with the real phone records she would have subpoenaed before she questioned David. There were other small things that made me question this episode, but I won't harp on them. Those were the main things that I kind of noticed that kind of made this a little less of a great episode for me. But ultimately, I enjoyed this episode because I enjoy this show. If you're looking for an episode to criticize and tear down this show, this might have been the one to look at because it had some issues. But I enjoyed my girl Amy Acker and discovered some newfound respect for the actor Lee Arenberg, who plays Grumpy slash Leroy. Yeah, you know, I think what it was is maybe they should have spread out some of this stuff more so. Mm-hmm. I think they have a lot they want to tell. I think they're trying to condense it maybe before the end of the season. And I think they could spread things out a little bit more. Right. We also don't know how many episodes Amy Acker is going to be in this show. She may just be a very infrequent guest star, but if she was going to be a, not a series regular, but a, a regular guest starring role, then they could have spread this out over multiple episodes and it would have built to a much better love story like we saw with other characters, you know, some of the main characters. And therefore, I feel they were rushed because of maybe schedules, actor schedules, and things like that. And unfortunately, they rushed it too much, and it became less believable. Ultimately, though, I love Amy Acker, and I'm not going to disparage her. I thought she did a, a wonderful job. I loved the whole Leroy, grumpy, dreamy idea. It was good. It just, like I've said a couple times, the execution felt very rushed and less believable. I just don't think you could have pulled this off as well without Amy Acker, to be honest. Oh, definitely not. I, I think that was what was needed, and that's what they worked with, that's what they went for. Again, I think right now, since this is the first season, I think it's a lot of trial and error. Okay. You know, I don't know if they knew Grumpy was going to take off for us like he did. You know, it seems like they're trying things out, seeing what we want to go with, and then go from there. So I think it's a lot of, I think we're still at this establishing point, but eventually they're going to need to come to a decision. Okay, what's working, what's not? They get rid of what's not working, they keep what's working, they go along with it. Because eventually you're going to have so much stuff going on, you're not going to be able to resolve it, and the audience is going to feel bogged down. But with that being said, I, this show is not in trouble. It's really solid. I look forward to watching it every week. And I really am rooting for it. I want it to keep going, and I want them to keep getting better, because this is probably one of the most original shows on TV, especially for this type of genre. So I really hope it keeps going, especially with things like, you know, Alcatraz and Terra Nova being not so great. So that's where I'm at for this. I'm rooting for them all the way. Again, I think the best new drama on TV right now is Person of Interest, but this really is a close second, and it's a good show for families and younger kids to watch. Not too young. I would say, you know, around maybe 11 or 12 and older, but still, it's a great show, and it kind of brings back that, you know, wonderful world of Disney movie vibe that you used to get on Sunday nights. So Absolutely. So, did you have anything else, Nico? Or I think we're ready to move on. All right, well, let's move on to talking about a new show that came out last season that really had a lot of potential for being a great sitcom right up there with Community, Big Bang, some of the greats. And it unfortunately got canceled, and now it's come back. And unfortunately, I think some new decisions have been made that's going to get it canceled again. So let's talk about the Breaking In episode, The Contra Club. Yeah. 
When Oz starts behaving strangely, especially around a new temp named Veronica Mann, the team digs out what Oz is secretly trying to sell his company, and Veronica is in fact the VP of acquisitions of the potential buyer, and she went undercover to evaluate them. And since Breaking In is a sitcom, we're just going to give our favorite comedic moment from this. But since this is a premiere episode, we're going to give a little bit more information. But anyway, my favorite comedic moment from the return of Breaking In would have to be a toss-up between the flashback to the prank that Cam played on the old temp where he made her think she was shrinking, and then Cash causing Veronica's exercise ball to explode, thinking that she was a temp, not really realizing she was the boss. So that was quite funny. Then also, I love the line where Cash just went to Veronica and said, I hate your face, because I really do hate Veronica's face. And on that note, I have to say I'm really on the fence about the addition of Megan Mullally as the new boss. Because during the first season, Christian Slater, especially in the episode where he kept having secret doors, was basically established as God within the universe of this show. Because seeing him sell Contra Securities to basically the man felt really out of place. I mean, there's a possibility that breaking out of the new boss's control will set up some great character development for Oz and the Contra team. But with that, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens and if it's all going to work out. Right now, it's kind of scary for this show, but maybe they'll make the addition of this new character work out. So with that, Nico, I'm going to pass things out to you with your thoughts about breaking in and your favorite comedic moments. My favorite comedic moment was none of it. Breaking in premiered again this week, and I got to say... I was underwhelmed. Without Dutch, played by ATA favorite Michael Rosenbaum, the show just doesn't seem to pop like it did. Neither Michael Rosenbaum nor Trevor Moore are back this year, at least for now. And Odette Annabelle will have a reduced role due to her work on House this season, so it really does not feel like the same show. Also, I've never been a fan of Megan Mullally, so it sucks that she's going to be a big part of the show. Don't expect a season three, is what I'm saying. The show needs to get back to the fun it had in those first seven episodes, or it will not see another seven. I'm hoping this was just an off episode, and the rest of this miracle second season is not as poorly done, because it really was crap. Yeah, which is really disappointing, because Christian Slayer really made this show in the first season. Yeah, I mean, there were small moments where you saw some of the old, and you're absolutely right, that might have been the best line, the one you quoted, where he says, I hate your face. And and that's sad that something that small would have been the best thing from the entire episode. But, and again, I have to just ask, what's the big deal about Megan Mullally? And what the heck has she been in? Because, like, all these shows make such a big deal that they have guest star Megan Mullally. And I'm just like, who the heck is she? Well, she was obviously on Will and Grace. Okay. And yeah. people loved her on that. But she's also been on Raising Hope. She's been on, I saw a list of a bunch of shows she was on. So she's made a bunch of, oh, she was on Parks and Rec. She was on a couple shows like that, like multiple episode characters and people have loved her characters. I, I don't see, I, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid with her. And, you know, I, I just don't enjoy her. She was funny in her guest appearance or her spot on Conan. She was funny. She had some good stories, but I just don't like her as an actress. So she's not for me and she's going to be terrible on this, this show. And it's terrible. I, I completely forgot she was on Parks and Rec. So there you go. Right over my head. Yep. And I think that was one of the shows where they're like star Megan Mullally. And I'm like, okay, big deal. Whatever. So anyway, we're going to move on to a show that I consider to be comedic gold. Sometimes it annoys the crap out of people. I think it's a lot of fun. It really has that uniqueness that made Breaking In pop in its first season. So let's talk about the great show, Psych, with the episode, Here's Lassie. Psych you out in the end. 
Lasseter hires Sean and Gus to prove or disprove paranormal activity in his new condo. This week's episode of Psych was all about our boy, James Roday, as director of this episode, showing off his degree in experimental filmmaking by presenting us with spoofs of popular horror movies from the 80s, such as Poltergeist, Ghostbusters, and The Shining. On that note, my favorite part of this episode was seeing Sean and Gus thrust up a Ghostbusters, or what my dad called Gusbusters, gear. In fact, from here on out, I loved all of the well-executed references to the horror movies of the 1980s. But the audience I was watching the show with just didn't get it, because they hadn't seen any of the movies beyond Ghostbusters. And that made me question if this episode was effective as last week's Indiana Jones-themed episode, based on their principle that I think a lot more people may have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark compared to The Shining. Anyway, for the audience members who might have not seen The Shining, I felt that this episode did a nice job of keeping them interested by providing us scenes with Woody the Coroner, as well as giving us some vinty, lassie moments, like him dissing Sean for having a healthy relationship with Jules, wanting to purchase his new condo with a dead guy still hanging from the ceiling, and blowing off the welcome wagon lady after almost shooting her. Yet with all these great moments, I kind of wish that we would have got some more development out of Lassie's quirky condo neighbors, since it would have kept the reveal that the welcome wagon lady was the killer from being so obvious. But with everything that needed to go into that hilarious sequence where a crazed, drugged-out Lassie tried to kill Gus, they just didn't have the time. Plus, a portion of this episode needed to be designated for more development on Sean and Gus's argument over Sean wanting to propose to Jules. And I thought Gus won this round by Sean's yard sale at the psych office being ruined by the decision to hide his grandmother's ring in a Thundercats action figure of Snark that some kid wanted to buy, and Sean ended up having to get rid of all the money he made from the yard sale to buy the figure back. Although in the end, it was William Satner as Jules's father who got the last laugh on the argument, because he basically told Sean that he needs to tell Jules the truth, that he's not psychic in order to marry her, proving the theory that we've pretty much had all season correct. So with us excited, but yet apprehensive about how Sean coming clean to Jules is going to affect the dynamic of the show, they're going to pass things out to you, Nico, with your thoughts on this episode of Psych. Dan, I've got to agree. The best part of the episode was the Psych Boys dressed as Ghostbusters. I loved it. Not only for the great Ghostbusters uniforms, but the great scene with the shining-like boy on the tricycle and interviewing the creepy twins and the pregnant woman who despises Lassie and the husband who seems to want to be best friend neighbors. This was all very well done, and who doesn't love a little Ghostbusters, especially after the negative Ghostbuster news I had in the News with Nico section. In fact, Dan, I'm surprised that those uh, people who you were watching this episode with hadn't seen The Shining. I could understand maybe your younger siblings, maybe, but any self-respecting adult 18 or older should have seen The Shining by now. Come on, that's on them, not the psych writers. Well, my audience, the audience I was watching are not, I know, guarantee you are not a fan of horror movies. Okay. So I think that was maybe the effect. And definitely, Indiana Jones has a more broad appeal than the horror genre in general, but they were alluding to classics, classic horrors, not off-the-wall cult classics. Virtually every reference they made here is standard pop culture references now, and I'd expect them in a Family Guy or Simpsons episode. Plus, we know James Roday is a huge horror aficionado, so we'd expect nothing less from him. But let's get back to the episode. Paranormal activity, a new condo, quirky neighbors, Lassiter asking Sean and Gus for help, and the return of Shatner. Indeed, our boys were in for a crazy time this week on Psych in James Roday's directed episode. Here's Lassie! 
Few things with this show bring me more joy than to see Lassiter at his most eccentric, or in this week's case, his most insane. Speaking of insane, we got to witness the great scene with Carlton's sword-wielding rampage on Gus. Just brilliant. It was a great scene. I, I was laughing so hard. Yeah, nothing could be more entertaining than listening to Gus scream like a girl as Lassie attempt to dismantle that oak door slash by slash. And then they, he stops midpoint and is like, uh, this is pretty, pretty tough. You want to help me out and unlock the door? Then there's the return of Shatner. After much hype in the social media realm about his return, it seems that Frank O'Hara was responding to an emergency call from Sean. It's no surprise, in fact, Dan and I predicted this before the mid-season hiatus, that Frank would not give his approval until Sean was completely honest with Jules. Dan and I have discussed many times the necessity that Sean tell Juliet the truth about his so-called abilities, but when even Frank O'Hara can out you as a faker, you know it's time to reassess your approach. It keeps becoming more and more clear that Sean is going to have to tell Juliet the real truth before they can finally be together completely. Now, as for the mystery and the killer this week, I have to say it was a little too predictable. From the moment we meet the head of the welcoming committee, we know that there is something wrong with her and she has instantly become suspect number one. We also know that she is drugging the men in the apartment and the only part of the mystery you could probably not have guessed in the first 11 minutes of this episode was the method of poisoning or drugging the victims. Did this obvious mystery and killer hurt this episode? Maybe in the slightest, in that it could have been better. Did it ruin this episode? Please. This episode was chocked full of such great references, zany psych fun, and twists like Henry and Juliet both thinking the apartment was haunted, and Sean being the only one thinking it was a rational explanation. You know, the mystery was essentially tertiary in important. This was another solid episode, so I had no problem with it being maybe a little less of a great mystery. Everything else more than made up for it. And we always say that in these shows, that sometimes character development outdoes the weak mystery, like on Castle. Well, in this time, the fun, craziness, and comedy way outdid the weakness of mystery. Well, and, and, that's, and the storytelling and the cinematography. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a ton of stuff. I mean, even beyond what we just said here, we normally say it's character development. No, this was even beyond that. Yeah. This was a good episode. And yeah, yeah I had to think hard to find something I was not happy with. And I have to say, James Roday's directing is unbelievable. I mean, you know, the first couple times where he directed, you know, it was a pretty standard episode. But now every time he's directing, he's experimenting in just unbelievable, unique ways that we've really not seen on TV shows. Yeah, and they pulled the curtain back a little bit for us on the psych out this week and showed us how they did the Carlton waking up in bed with the crazy version of himself. And that was kind of cool to see. You know, they were using a green screen and he's just hilarious in those those psych outs. It was great. Well, well, it's cool that they give James Roday the freedom to experiment like that, but they know they have a talent with him, and they really let him exploit it to a huge degree. I mean, he did this one, the Hitchcock episode, got some really amazing shots. Did even the one, the last episode he directed with Lasseter thinking that Marlowe, his girlfriend, was a vampire. Like, that was that was even really well done. It had some really unique camera techniques using that. So it was very impressive. And I'm glad that they brought her up again, because they didn't bring up Marlowe at all after the one episode where they got together after she was sent to prison. So I'm glad that they're keeping her within the story arc, and I hope we do get to see an episode where she is released from prison. Yeah, a little bit of spoilers here, guys. We will actually get to see her in a couple weeks. Okay. I don't know the exact episode number, but there is word that she is coming back for at least one more guest spot. 
And, that, and that's good. I mean, we assume that was going to happen. The other thing I'm just going to call real quick, and then we'll wrap it up here, is I think that our season finale cliffhanger is going to be Sean revealing the secret now. I agree. Okay. I just think it makes the most sense. If they're waiting this long and they're pulling it out this long, it's going to be that last episode. Yeah, it has to be. And, and it may get set up over multiple episodes. Okay. And I, I think we're going to get Shatner back for another episode, aren't we? You know, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine since he was only in the very ending scene of this episode that he's got to be back for at least one more full episode just to give that character some closure. Well, next week's going to be a lot of fun because Wayne Brady guest stars. <laughs> Along with a favorite of ours from Heroes, Greg Grunberg. Nice. It'll be fun to have them on. I really want a Wayne Brady Gus duet or something, because that would just be a lot of fun. That would be. So I'm hoping for it. But anyway, we're going to move on to another show that has a habit of really making us laugh. That soon will have Leonard Nimoy on it. And that's the Big Bang Theory with the episode The Weekend Vortex. All started with the Big Bang. Sheldon incurs Amy's ire when he chooses a weekend of video gaming with the guys over a birthday party for her aunt. My favorite comedic moment from this week's Big Bang Theory would have to be Penny building Amy up to making a scene over Sheldon not going to her aunt's birthday party. Only for Raj to end up being the one who makes a scene over the girlfriend's invading on his opportunity to hang with the guys. And being the one who's going to get a girl after Sheldon Cooper. Also, as a close second to this comedic moment was all the jokes that came from the whip-sounding iPhone app and the Cooper coupons, which included a trip with Sheldon to the Science Museum where he would correct their mistakes. So with that, I'm going to pass things on to you, Nico, with your favorite comedic moment from this week's Big Bang Theory. Yeah, my favorite moment from this week's Big Bang Theory was all the great one-liners of excellent dialogue. Starting with Sheldon's, Please, Amy, it's got lightsabers! To Leonard saying, In Grand Theft Auto, we pay the prostitutes promptly and never hit them with bats. To which Sheldon said, Those were prostitutes? You told me they were raising money for stem cell research. <laughs> Finally, to Raj exclaiming, I'll be the guy who got a girlfriend after Sheldon Cooper. This episode was chock full of great dialogue, and it was just excellent. Yeah, especially when we thought kind of the plot line seemed a little mundane. They mm -hmm. definitely made up for it with these great one-liners, like you said. Absolutely. All right, well, with that, we're going to move on to the more dramatic part of CBS's Thursday night with our discussion on person of interest and the episode entitled Baby Blue. Reese and Finch become daycare providers when the machine gives them the number of a six-month-old six baby. Meanwhile, Carter begins to question her alliance with the two men when Elias shows up. Going into this episode, I thought it was going to be disappointing because the storyline with the baby just seemed to be way too cutesy for this show, especially within the first 30 minutes. However, the writers went this route to give Reese and the baby enough of a connection where it would make sense for Reese to go to the extreme lengths of asking Elias for help in order to save her. And honestly, I thought Reese was on top of things when he had himself brought to Elias since he played on the villain's strength that comes from his lust for power and his weakness of being an orphan to get the information to save the baby's life. Now with most dramas, 
this scene between Elias and Reese would have satisfied the overarching story for the episode. Again, we would have been done with it. But the writers of Person of Interest took this a step farther by revealing that to Elias, vengeance rises above all else. As Reese's success of rescuing the baby was met with Elias locking him and the baby inside a freezer truck to get the location of where Carter was hiding his mobster father. Yes, that's right, folks. Goliath exposed Reese's weakness of wanting to connect with people and find love in a very Lex Luthor-like fashion. Because Reese was left with no other choice but to reveal the mobster's location, since he could not let another human being die, especially one as innocent as a baby. And as you can imagine, Reese giving such a valuable piece of information away to the big bad not only led to the mobster being abducted, but an NYPD detective that was one of the good guys was also murdered in Elias' wake. Unfortunately, that wasn't the lowest blow delivered to Reese, as Carter ended their partnership in response to discovering that he turned to Elias for help, instead of just calling the police, when the machine gave Finch the baby's number. On that note, this turn of events with Carter was somewhat of a surprise to me, even though I know she will eventually go back to be Reese's ally. But that's going to take some time, meaning that a lot of the theories they had about the rest of the season, in the first half of season two, have been thrown off. Although what I can tell you about the future is that I think that this episode is the start of a downward spiral for Reese, going into the season finale, because I think that falling out between him and Finch is still coming. And the plot line for early season two is going to be about Reese finding the inspiration to continue the job of protecting persons of interest. So with me going back to the drawing board about my future theories for this show, I'm going to pass things over to you, Nico, with your thoughts on this episode of Person of Interest that turned out to be better than expected. The Baby episode is a cheap ratings ploy that many shows use to grab attention and a few cheap laughs. I felt that this was what Person of Interest was doing and was greatly disappointed with this great show up until the twist where Elias used the baby to get information from Reese. At that point, my displeasure with this baby episode evaporated and the episode became much more interesting once again. Things got off to an 80s era comedy start with the latest social security number belonging to a six-month-old six baby. I don't know why I can't get that right. <laughs> Uh, Layla. So, of course, Finch kidnaps her to keep her out of danger. Jokes were plentiful as Reese and Finch played sort of Tom Selleck and Steve Gutenberg, making a crib out of books and exchanging awkward dad jokes about Amber Alerts and diaper changing. It was obviously low-hanging fruit, but as usual, the show made, made it work. Person of Interest has this weirdly disarming comedic streak, and it's been put to great use in getting us to identify with Reese and Finch throughout this first season. Baby Blue had laughs, murders, serious business, and some emotion, making it an ideal example of the series firing on all cylinders and a heck of a lot better than a story about some trader on Wall Street. The episode had a decent mystery as well, about a CEO having an affair with his secretary who got pregnant and then the CEO paid her to give her baby up for adoption and protect his marriage and the company's safety. She later turns up dead, and we suspect that he had her killed because she changed her mind and wanted her baby back. 
Later, in an effective little twist, though, we discovered it wasn't the CEO or his gay son who put a hit on the little baby and killed the mom. It was the CEO's wife. It's always the wife. Case closed. But it wasn't case closed, because out of almost nowhere, we got the Elias subplot that made this episode. Every week, this show seems to surprise me, and this storyline about Elias and the re-kidnapping of the baby surprised me. But without this twist, this episode would have been a huge disappointment to me. Thus, I'm happy that Reese turned to Elias because it not only pushed this episode plot forward, as you mentioned, yeah. Dan, it pushed the overall story arc forward as Carter quit the partnership she had with Reese. Now, we know she will eventually come back to help him. But she is angry that her friend was killed, and she can't see the good they've done right now. She will eventually come back to the fold, but until then, Fusco has again become very important to the story. Many people think he will be killed before the end of the season, which if true is unfortunate because you and I both really like him. But it may be the reason that Carter comes back into the fold and rejoins recent Finch. I could very easily see that that as the catalyst that brings all three back together after the fallouts we expect to occur before the end of the season or in that season finale. So I could see either at the end of this season or at the very first scene of next season, Fusco being killed and it bringing everyone back together. The other possibility is Elias goes after Carter's son. That was the other thing I thought of as you were talking. Yeah, that's a great thought, too, because that would definitely bring her back in. Or if the son's number came up, right. Reese would have to go to her and say, hey, look, we've got information that your son is a target, and that could bring her back in. Yeah. So that's there, too. But I think this episode, its strength, as you were saying, was the blend of emotions that we got. And it almost got so cutesy that it made us put our guard down. Yes. To us not even being able to fathom that, you know, Elias would double cross him this way, and in the end, Carter would leave Reese. You know, we thought this was just a business as usual kind of episode that did get a little cutesy, but they surprised us once again. God, I'm loving this. I mean, this, this show seems to always be able to surprise us every week with some crazy twists, and it's great, and that's why we enjoy covering it here on this show. Absolutely. So, was there anything more on your end with this? I mean, Again, it was a great episode. I mean, it had its faults with the QT stuff, but I think it stayed together pretty well. Yeah, I just, I'm wondering if if this is, as you said, the the start of that downward spiral that we're going to get movement towards that falling out that we've been calling for. I think you're right about it. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I think it's coming. And I was sure always thinking that kind of did this was Angel. Remember, he kind of went on that downward spiral. Yes. And it broke up the group and they got back together. I think that's the plot line we're going for. Okay. So with that, are you ready to move on to the closing? I think I am. Okay, good deal. So why don't you tell everyone, Nico, what we've got coming on next week's episode? Sure. On next week's episode, our favorite, the infamous Michael J. Petty, will be back to discuss all the content that will be part of this week's DC Nation, which airs on Cartoon Network at 10 a.m. Eastern 9 a.m. Central. Also, I'll be here with next week's new episodes of Once Upon a Time, Psych, and Supernatural, as well as give you our favorite comedic moments from Breaking In, If It's Better, Modern Family, and Community. 
which finally returns this Thursday after a way too long hiatus, which is finally, thankfully, over. Yeah, I'm excited for Community to come back too. I've been definitely pumped up about that. Also, if you guys would like, check out our sister podcast, Smallville Retro Reviews, hosted by DC Nation Section's very own Michael J. Petty. Got his crazy partner in crime, Woo Kim, that's always getting into trouble. So definitely check that out. I'm going to be on their next episode, which probably might already be released by now, which is going to talk about the Smallville episode, Justice. So check that out. It's going to be exciting. Since Michael's joining our show, I'm going to jump on his show for an episode. Maybe more. We'll see. Also, check out our Road to the Avengers podcast, where Michael and I are going to be providing you with audio commentary while we watch in order by their release all of the films connected to the highly anticipated Avengers movie, which is coming out May 4th, which is a little over a month from now. So it's coming, and we're excited about that. Also, if you want to talk the Avengers movie, Smallville, DC Nation, or any of the shows we cover here on ATA, feel free to contact us through email. And you can do that by visiting our website at www.acrosstheairways.com. Then there you can click on the link that says email to access our email, which is acrosstheairways at gmail.com. That's acrosstheairways at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like, you can click the like button on our website to access our Facebook page, which is filled with all of the news that Nico finds out during the week that he also reports on on this show as well as his video podcast. Also, you can do the same by checking out our Twitter, and that's Across Airways. There's no the on there. It's just Across Airways. So hit us up on Twitter, and you can communicate with our podcast in that way too. Then normally we'll get back to you. And also for another source to access Nico's news and communicate with ATA, check out our Google Plus page. We seem to be getting more and more followers on there every week. So keep that up, listeners. We appreciate you tinning us up on there. Also, if you'd like, you can leave us a voicemail, which we would play on air. And basically, by leaving us a voicemail, just kind of give us your opinions or crackpot theories that you may have on any of the shows we cover. And if you send us one, we'll play that on air. Now, what's that number again, Nico? 773-809-3363. And also, if you'd like, you can access our YouTube channel, where Michael provides all sorts of previews and promos for upcoming ATA events that he makes. And he also gives you previews and promos for episodes of TV shows coming out, as well as trailers and whatnot. And also on our YouTube channel, you can access Nico's video podcast, known as News with Nico, which he provides news and video clips and all sorts of cool stuff to keep you updated on everything that's going on within the television and movie industry. Also, if you don't want to go back through this podcast, to listen to all the ways you can contact us, you can download our Android app by clicking the link on the right-hand side of our page. And by downloading that app, you can access everything across the airways through your cellular phone, including our podcast episodes. So with that, once again, for our Smallville Retro Reviews hosts, Michael J. Petty and Wu Kim, I'm Dan Schmidt. And I'm Nico Reifstead. And until next week, we'll catch you on the airwaves. Have a great week, everybody, and I hope you enjoyed the premiere of DC Nation. See ya. 
Jeffster lives, man. We now return to our regularly scheduled program.